This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, KDC of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and this is the David Hughes episode of the month, first episode of, the, of September. So Dave, welcome back, mate. Yeah, thank you, mate. It's uh, it's good to be back. It's been a few weeks, hasn't it? So nice to be back on the show at, uh, say, at long last. But it, it does feel a while ago since I was back on, I won't lie. It's extremely well-timed as well. We have Everton this weekend and mm-hmm. Liverpool are actually buying players or loaning players at least. So uh, we have a favour to talk about, but yeah, it's a good time, mate, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, Maisie Maisie Derby this weekend. Um, <laughs> I should have sounded better, actually, mate. I've <laughs> 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 not done that quite well. Uh, how am I feeling? Pretty much the same as I do before every Maisie Derby. Expect very little, um, and that's normally what comes to fruition. But you never know. I think I, I'm finding Liverpool as we'll probably get on to very strange this year. Um, yeah. So. You know, I guess in previous years I've been very confident of a Liverpool victory. I still am, but um, yeah, there's a there's a strangeness about Liverpool this this season so far. So um, perhaps there might be something different that the narrative throws up, but we'll wait and see. Yeah, I mean, we we can't get into it anyway. You know, I I, I thought this episode would be a talk about Liverpool's recent form. It's gonna be. But I didn't expect Liverpool to be doing business. Liverpool seems to be... I mean, we are recording on deadline day. By the time this podcast comes out, you know, the deal could have collapsed. We, ne- we never know, really. But as of right now, at least, Liverpool seem to be negotiating a, a season-long loan for Arthur Mello, who is at Juventus. So uh, before we kind of talk about matters on the pitch, uh, Newcastle United, Everton and all that stuff... We have to obviously tackle the major news of the day, and that that is Arthur. So, are we feeling about that one? Are you surprised or? I am surprised. Yeah, um, you know, I suppose somewhat typically Liverpool have done a, a great job of keeping this off off the radar. Uh, they seem to do that really well. One of the best clubs for it, which. When I've been on the show, we've praised in the past, haven't we? You know, saying it's quite a good thing to do. Um, you know, it doesn't really give your rivals uh, any kind of indication that you're looking at a certain player, which can make it a little bit easier to get a deal over the line. Obviously, this is a little bit different, though, because uh, I see him as a player who, you know, isn't someone I'd imagine Liverpool to um, bring in permanently. It does very much, for me, feel like it's a kind of stopgap uh, consequence of the circumstances, um, just an extra body and the, the the best possible option that the, maybe is available at this time to to bring into the midfield, uh, especially you know obviously Henderson picking up a, a knock himself against Newcastle. So I, I would be interested to, to to know how far down the line this one was, or when this one actually started to materialise in terms of Liverpool formalising their interest, because. It wouldn't surprise me if it was if it was this week, as opposed to you know in the past where it's been ongoing. What I've heard is Liverpool contacted Juventus at midnight last night. Mm. <laughs> so 
So it is very much a late one. Um, I've got lots of thoughts on this, actually. But I think, first of all, just touching on what you've just mentioned there in terms of this being a stopgap, I have no real issues with that, if I'm honest. Um, I would rather Liverpool, if it's a short-term fix, I would rather it be a definite short-term fix where the lad leaves in a year than Liverpool going by a midfielder who they don't want long-term. You know, say, for example, Douglas Luiz was linked. Um, I would rather Liverpool loan someone to fix, the, to plug the gap who is not part of the long-term plan than, than buy a lad who's not part of the long-term plan. So the whole loaning for the season, I don't mind that much. Um, in terms of the player... I think it's interesting, actually. It is an interesting move because if you if you look at what he is, for me, he's he's as much of a clone as you're possibly getting at this stage in the window, at least for Thiago. Um, and I I think this looks like a very obvious move to kind of reduce the impact of Thiago's absence on on this team because this team is nowhere near the same in terms of control and. Um, fluidity, building from the back, all that stuff when Thiago was on the sidelines. And, you know, you, you can bring in the likes of Milner, Curtis Jones, whoever it may be, Jordan Henderson even. They, they don't offer what Thiago does. They, they're not that conductor who, who dictates the tempo and just keeps the ball and and, that, and those basic elements really that are quite hard to do if you look at it. Arthur is... He is a version of that type of player. He is that kind of controller. He's not Thiago's level, but he is technically very good. And um, I mean, do you agree with that sort of lines? That what what, what you're what you're thinking? Because that was my immediate thought. Mm. I think he definitely alleviates some of that pressure. I just find him hard to compare to Thiago because I just don't think he's anywhere near as good in my in my personal opinion. And I see what you're saying. You're not saying he is. You're saying he's a clone in terms of a profile yeah. which to some extent I, I do agree uh, but yeah just, like, like, it's, it's, just to elaborate on that just say for example a few years back when Liverpool had Robertson um, the alternative to Robertson was Milner now if you compare those two Milner is you know a 35 year old right footed player who isn't particularly quick isn't a threat in behind Robertson was a younger, left-footed Duracell bunny who ran in behind all the time. So Liverpool had two totally different profiles for the left-back spot, for example. What I mean by what we mean by profiles is, in this case, if Thiago comes out the team and Arthur comes into the team, in terms of the makeup of the team, at least, it doesn't shift as much as it does if you take Thiago out and bring in a Curtis Jones. That, that, that's kind of my what, what I mean by that, like. Yeah, yeah. So I, I see that element to him. I think you, you said he dictates tempo. I agree. I think, you know, he, he's fairly decent in terms of getting himself out of a hole when he's pressed. Um, yeah. I just don't, from from what I've watched him, watched of him, and even when I was having a look at the numbers, I just don't think he's got that kind of penetrative kind of element to him in possession. Um, maybe you disagree. Maybe you've seen something I haven't, but just that's that's no, I- that. One big thing I think is missing from his game if we're looking at the two players. Yeah, I agree, actually. Um, the, the best way I can put it right, I think I had a look at the numbers earlier 
we past couple of episodes, mate, we we we've spoke quite a bit on um the most basic statistic in the world, which is which is pass completion. Mm. And how how in certain games, particularly when the pressure gets turned up, the likes of Henderson and Milner just tend to lose the ball a lot. Um and that's all right if you're Trent. It's all right if you're Salah. It's not all right if you're responsible for establishing a foothold on the game in the middle of the park. Um it, it there's one department that Arthur shines in the numbers. It is keeping the ball. He mm. he is he just doesn't give the ball away ever. Um similar to Thiago in that sense. The issue is Thiago, while keeping the ball, also moves it forward a lot. Mm. And Thiago will keep the ball while also finding the most valuable areas of the pitch with his passing. Arthur keeps the ball to a slightly better level than Thiago, according to the numbers at least. But in terms of moving the ball forward, it's about half as much. Uh, I think that season Thiago was averaging about about 10 progressive passes per 90. Arthur, over the past year, is averaging 5.1 per 90, which is not that bad. It's just not. It's just half of Thiago. So, mm. you know, it, it, it's it's like before Thiago in this role, we, we had Wijnaldum in the role. And Wijnaldum offered ball of attention. He, he kept the ball a lot, never gave the ball away. But Wijnaldum never moved the ball forward. He, he was just not a progressive passer at all. So if you put Wijnaldum at one end of the scale, Thiago at the other end of the scale, Arthur is almost bang in the middle. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I agree with. I mean, I was looking at the fact that he'd, he'd made the most second most successful passes per 90 in the Juventus squad last season. And I was thinking... Straight away, that probably signals to me that he's, you know, he's not going to be someone who takes a lot of, lot of risks on the ball. Um, but then, for that position, is that what you want? Not really. You know, you want that solidity to build through. Um, again, just the reason I, I, I wanted to flag the differences with Thiago was I just think Thiago does that, but then will find a pass uh, in the smallest of openings that, you know, maybe someone else wouldn't. I don't think we're going to get that from him. Um, I think he probably won't progress it as well. Um, So what you're kind of getting is a a solid midfielder who'll who'll be decent in possession, um, but maybe just not having that that edge that that Thiago has. Um, And then obviously there's stuff on them without the ball as well. Yeah, well, uh, you know, in possession he is... He is a lot more of what I would probably label as a sideways man. Um, just for a bit of perspective on that, they right while I'm speaking, open up White Scout and uh, check on his most recent passing network against Villarreal in the Champions League, and uh, you'll see exactly what I mean when I say he is a sideways man. Um, so yeah, as 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 we say, in terms of moving the ball forward into the dangerous zones like Thiago does. We're not going to see as much of that, but he will offer the, the control, if you like, in the middle of the park that Liverpool are definitely lacking at the minute. Mm-hmm. For a bit of perspective on his on his ability to essentially keep the ball, over the past four seasons, in two of them have been in Serie A, two of them have been in La Liga. He's attempted 4,136 passes, <clears throat> and of those... He's completed ninety two point three percent of them. 
uh, in all four of those seasons, his pass completion hasn't dropped below 90% in, in any of those seasons. Um, now, again, it's it's really basic. No, these are basic numbers. It, it offers no insight into the value he's providing with those passes. But what I'm trying to get at is if Liverpool are lacking control and you've got a player there who, who just naturally does keep the ball and he he's a bit press resistant, he's, he's cool when he's under pressure, he doesn't bottle it or anything like that. Um, I do think Liverpool can benefit from a player like that, specifically when Thiago's injured. Uh, they just check the, check the network. Yeah, I'm just laughing at me because it's... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, it's. I mean, I, I know it's just it's the, it's the one game where he's really kind of exceeded something ridiculous. Like how many passes was it? Over uh, yeah, hundred hundred. Yeah, yeah. Ninety-four uh, percent pass completion. But then when when you have a look, and it's a shame we can't really share it with people listening and watching. But yeah, it's just very one side to the other. Which again, we're not saying isn't a bad thing. You know, it depends on what your role is in the side. Exactly. You know, yeah, exactly. Role, and then he's not doing anything wrong. But. Um, just as a profile, it seems like he's he's maybe just going to lack that edge a little bit. But I get it. Look, I don't want to sound too negative. I think it's a solid. I thought what your points that we didn't maybe elaborate more on at the start was very good. That Liverpool aren't going to um, burden themselves with a player who uh, they're going to have to spend money on. Uh, plus wages, I think he's going to be on big wages. I'm essentially be stuck with that player for two or three years when he's clearly not going to be in the long term plans. But you know, it's it's an obvious short-term fix. If, if everybody comes in and gets fit again, he doesn't play. If they don't, then you've got a kind of solid solution there, uh, ready to come in and, and and probably adapt fairly easily to, to how Liverpool want to play. Yeah, I mean, if, if Liverpool bought this player, I, w- I would probably be concerned. Um, even if he does really well this season, I'm going to say now, if he does really well, I probably still don't want the club to buy him because he... I don't want. I don't like using the same injury prone, but he he is. He does get injured often, um, and in terms of what he offers as a player, he's kind of he's just a controller. That that's kind of it. You know, there's, there's nothing else to his game really. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very good at it. He is very technical, and you know, same height as Thiago, good and tight spaces. He's he's very similar in many ways, um, but he's. It's kind of all he's about, really. Yeah. Like, like I, I'll be amazed if he scores for Liverpool in the next yeah. in the next year. I don't think he'll get a single goal. Like, and I'm not expecting that from him. No, I think when I looked, there was no goals, no assists in Serie A last season, uh, and there was also very little in the way of even shot creating actions. You know, compared to the rest of the squad, he was he was probably I'd say bottom twenty five percent. I mean, that's all positions, so. You know, it's hard to compare it like that, but just as a snapshot, he was quite low down. And again, we know, don't we, Josh? That could just be his role in the side, uh, but it'll be very similar, I imagine, at Liverpool. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Yeah, it's sticky, isn't it? Because we, we obviously, I'm all conscious when, whenever Liverpool buy a player, we probably talk about the negatives a lot more than the, hmm. than, than your typical cheerleading podcast maybe or something like that but we're just trying to analyze what the player offers what the player does and uh generally he's he is a controller and i think liverpool need a controller especially when Thiago's not there which is pretty often so i don't dislike the deal i think him on loan for a year is fine and i think liverpool will, will, will benefit from his presence particularly when liverpool are facing teams like bournemouth Newcastle probably, uh, Palace, Fulham, 
especially Fulham, because um, that was a bit of a heated exchange in the middle of the park. That, um, but when Liverpool are facing the better sides, I don't know if he's uh, defensively. He's, put it this way, he's not a workhorse. He's not um, not that he's lazy, but he like I I, I messaged the lad today who I've I've had on Twitter for a while, Barcelona fan, and I just messaged him saying, uh, so Arthur Mello, tell me he isn't terrible, <laughs> and he just replied with a bit of insight around him and, and things like that. But one of the things he said was, um, he struggled during intense games, usually after sixty minutes. He can't really press anymore. Um, I'd say his weaknesses are more in the physical department. So mm. it doesn't really fit with a typical Liverpool player. But again, I need to highlight what will Liverpool expect from him? When will Liverpool be using him? So I I, I can't see him like starting against, I don't know. I'm trying to think of an intense Manchester City, you know, mm. someone like that. I don't know. But um, it's going to be gonna, yeah, Liverpool. Yeah. I think his importance is going to be when. Liverpool are going to be, I don't know, at home against the team. We're just going to sit in a low block. They're going to have so much of the ball. Um, defensive actions be few and far between. I think that'll be perfect for them because you are right. I mean, what, what your mate says there, that's, that sounds pretty correct. And then you think he's coming into the Premier League. He's only 5'8", I think he is. Um, yeah. You know, it's not it's not a big, big size, really, when you think, when you think of the midfielders in the Premier League. And, by no means am I saying that you need to be big to be successful as a midfielder in the Premier League. We know a lot of technical players who aren't, who are still fantastic. But I think it does definitely give you an advantage in terms of you, you work off the ball. Um, and that's where he could struggle a little bit. But certainly it'll be on it where he can still play an important role in the next, you know, next season. Yeah, he is kind of that player who, similar to, Thiago, he can play the left side of the number eight role, but then as Liverpool's system kind of shapes when the team are attacking, he can kind of slot in next to Fabinho as that that double six almost at times. He's not going to be in the final third at all. He's very much a middle third man. Um, and it's it's Liverpool seem to know that. Liverpool seem to want that kind of player. And alternatives to that were players who you were probably going to have to buy for a fair amount. You know, Ruben Neves, uh, Yori Tillemans. Um, Arthur offers a, a, arguably a better degree of control than they do, and he, he, he's just coming for a year and then getting off, basically, if everything mm-hmm. goes according to plan. So, yeah, I don't I don't hate the deal. I mean, I, what are your thoughts on the deal out of like out of 10 or whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah, so, um, look, I think it's about a. Uh, I mean, we're getting linked with Douglas Louise, getting linked with Conrad Lyman. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't I think, think it's a bad. No, I think it's a. It's probably a wiser deal, you know, making no big commitments. And what, what I don't want to see is uh, suddenly everybody kind of uh, applauding this as a master stroke. I think we, we can call a spade a spade and say, you know, <laughs> realize last night uh, they need a player in, and they, they, they've obviously maybe had a short list of potential available options because that was good. That's what Clock was talking about only last week, wasn't he? That. You know, the problem is there's midfielders you want, just they're not available. Um, well, they've obviously got a list of potential available ones and and of that list, Arthur probably probably ranks top. I can't imagine many others who'd be available the way he is. So um, on, on that basis, it, 
I'm torn between maybe like 6.5, 7 out of 10. Uh, and mm. I, I just don't think he's going to be, obviously, he's not going to be a transformational sign by any by any stretch. But what loan signing is, does he have body? Uh, sorry, does he, does he have reinforcements to the midfield? Yes. Does he look like he can kind of adapt to playing within Liverpool's midfield? Yes. Has he got uh, proven experience at the, the highest level, you know, Premier League champ? Not sorry, top five league, Champions League, yes. So on those bases, I think it ticks a lot of boxes. Yeah, I I think overall he 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 will he will lessen the hit from No Thiago, and that's that's valuable. That's important for us this season. Could be, and I mean you just touched on on masterstroke there. I actually think just moving the conversation up, maybe a little bit away from from Arthur. Our on Liverpool summer. What what do you think of uh, Julian Ward's first window? Hmm. <laughs> let, let, let me uh, let me bring up Liverpool's business business on um, in front of me now. I mean, in terms of incomings, it's it's Arthur on loan for the season on deadline yeah, day. Hmm. Darwin Nunes, obviously. Uh, Calvin Ramsey and, mm. and Fabio Carvalho for buttons. Yeah, so I really liked, I, I really liked the business to be honest. Done. Um, there's nothing really I don't like there. Um, obviously, we, I think we, my we, my we, issue, I, I think what I'm maybe getting at is, I I think Liverpool have been weirdly reactionary since um, the bad start of the season, and I think this. Almost scrambled for a midfielder is just a bit uncharacteristic. Um, I'm not sure. I don't want to put too much of an emphasis on Julian Ward and like that, but I'm, it it wasn't really something that we witnessed under Edwards too much. You say um, that. You say that, but obviously, if you think about the centre back stuff at the back end of the January window last yeah. year, that was. I, I I do feel like there's some parallels there between the two. Yeah, he definitely is. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Um, but with with this being a summer window, we obviously went for two and many didn't get him, mm-hmm. and it, it it did seem to be a case of right, we 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 can't get two and many, close the book, and then mm-hmm. it, it's like we closed the book and thought right, Bellingham next summer, and then we've realised now in the past couple of weeks and opened the book again. And and kind of done a little bit a little bit of a Man United almost where mm. the results don't go your way, and you 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 have to enter the market to solve a, solve a problem that you that is maybe a little bit worse than you anticipated. Um, but, I don't know, it's a little too harsh. But yeah, can I give you? Let me put a question to you though. Do you think that decision is results based, or do you think that decision is as a result of the uh, injuries that Liverpool have had? I think it's a a bit of both. Actually, I think it's a it's a bit of both. I think if the, if in those first three games things go according to plan and Liverpool certainly they win all three because we mm. I suppose we expected them to be Fulham, we expected them to be Palace, mm. and who else did we have? Bournemouth. Uh, Bournemouth, yeah, yeah. So there's been yeah, I mean that, that was according yeah. to plan. Yeah. Um, but I think if that happens, maybe Liverpool just kind of. What are you a bit less? I don't know. Oh, it was United, um, sorry, wasn't it? The, I think. Oh, yeah, it was United. Like, yeah. Liverpool fans had to put that one out of the mind, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. That was another one. You know, yeah. didn't really go according to plan at all. We, we lost that game. So mm. 
I don't know. It it just feels a tiny bit uncharacteristic. I I think. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Mm, I I do see what you're saying. Um, I definitely do. I think that the, the screams a little bit of a U-turn on it. Um, I mean, what I'm getting at is right. Liverpool have needed to upgrade their midfield department for a few years now. Um, we obviously got Thiago in 2020. But again, Thiago, when he arrived, was 29. So regardless, Liverpool have had this pressing need to buy a 22 to 25-year-old midfielder for a few seasons now. And quite a few top players have uh, have moved. Like Bruno Guimaraes is really, really good, in my opinion. I think he's mm-hmm. top, top player. I think he'd be great for Liverpool. Can play as a six, can play as an eight. Intense, good age. Um, Went to Newcastle. And there's been a few other movements as well. And I think even earlier than the summer, I kind of tipped my hat a little bit to uh, Ibrahim Sangare, who's a PSV. Mm. He signed a new contract on August 7th uh, to extend his stay until 2027. And I do wonder that if Liverpool hadn't closed the book, he could have went for him before he signed that new contract and realistically got him for about 30 million. And I think Liverpool have maybe come back to the table now, late, and realised on oh, a few of our targets have gone here. You know, Nunes went to um, Wolves, I don't know if at Liverpool were ever in for him, but I don't know. I feel like we've come back to the market at a, at a bad time, maybe, and it hasn't really delivered the best results. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and especially with it being at the very end of the window. It's even worse, isn't it? Yeah, um, but Liverpool have got lots of options in midfield. It's just a case of they have they have missed a lot of. I know I know the desire to, to always get the right man, and I know it is difficult to send a newsletter out on that this week as to why lots of players just aren't the right player. But um, I find it hard to believe seeing the number of players who've moved in the past year or two midfielders who apply to Liverpool that Liverpool have kind of just let leave. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm being too harsh, but no, no, I, I, I just I, expect the absolute relief from Liverpool's recruitment based on previous years, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You don't expect to be in a scramble. Yeah, that's it. And, yeah. uh, you know, when you're involved in deadline day deals, I don't know. <laughs> just, as, as we yeah. said, though, I mean, if we're going to finish this segment, at least finish it on a high in that, at least it's only a low move, isn't it? You know, it's not as if they get potentially yeah. paying 25 million for... Yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, don't want to go too harsh. Like it's just a case of uh, Liverpool maybe being a tiny bit uncharacteristic compared to previous years. But in terms of Arthur, it'll be interesting to see how he gets on. As I said, he's he's the console that Liverpool don't have when Thiago's injured, and Thiago's injured too often. So yeah, it'll be a nice nice addition, I think. Um, unless there's anything you want to add on that one, Dave, I just want to have a quick chat about you referenced earlier on that Liverpool are having a bit of a strange season. What do you mean? <laughs> um, well, uh, we, we touched on it before, but obviously there's been some bizarre results, certainly, you know, the first three games. And, and I mean, even the last two have been very bizarre, but for different reasons. Uh, obviously, 9-0 is an insane scoreline. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, was, I, I did watch the game. Obviously, we're recording on Thursday. I watched the Newcastle game and, it looked a very kind of frustrating evening, performance-wise. Uh, obviously, I know Liverpool have got on the the right side of the result in the end, but 
obviously conceding first again, uh, which has been an ongoing trend, which was only really booked on Saturday against a, a poor Bournemouth side. Concede first again, uh, find a way back into the match, and then um, you know really unlucky, well lucky not to concede that second. You know very tight margins, and then a kind of last gasp winner, which you know feel fantastic. And I think they do a lot for morale, but you know as we like to point out on on this show, it's me. We we try and talk a little bit more about the performance aspect of things, and um, yeah, just not what you're expecting from Liverpool. I expected parallels to to how Manchester City have started coming into the new season, and we just haven't seen that yet. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. We have we have looked at off it on our way. We don't want to be too down because Liverpool have have won two in a row now, but. Uh, the Newcastle game, I thought, was quite fortunate to get away with with three points there a little bit. Um, I think Liverpool's, I thought Liverpool's build up particularly against Newcastle wasn't wasn't very good. Liverpool's building from the back, we just look like we've encountered problems maybe, and and Van Dijk and whatever centre half he's playing with look like they're almost without options at times. And I had a little think about that and thought like, I think you can put a lot of that down to the fact that a we don't have Matip in the team, and I think Matip is a natural almost solution to, to build up from the back because when he's the free man, he will just carry the ball until someone closes him down. Mm-hmm. Gomez is a bit less inclined to do that. Van Dijk doesn't do it. Um, so I think we're missing Matip a little bit in that sense. And I also think when it comes to Liverpool's midfielders, Fabinho's been trying to do it a little bit. But in terms of, again, Thiago, we haven't had that player who has been, who's, who's been helping out with the first phase, basically. Uh, I think Elliot's can do that sort of thing, but he's just a bit more inclined to drift towards the final third than their, than their defensive third, Elliot. So I think Liverpool's Liverpool's fit, the first phase of Liverpool's build-up has been a little bit... Um, I don't know, just encountering a few issues a little bit. Mm. I don't know what the word is. Not, not particularly it's cohesive. And, yeah, mm. this joint is a good word, yeah. And I think Van Dijk's been hitting maybe a few more long balls than he should. Um mm. Trent's been forcing a few passes and, and as a result of us losing the ball after those passes because we haven't really had the, the stability in the middle of the park. We've been just kind of conceding more counter-attacks, more dangerous counter-attacks than usual, maybe. Um, go on. Yeah, and no, I was going to say, I, I agree with so much of that. You know, you've talked about Elliot. I think Elliot's phenomenal talent, technically fantastic, going to be a brilliant player. You forget he's still a teenager. Maybe some of the t- tactical kind of aspects of the game are still lacking a little bit, even being totally honest. Uh, don't want to sound too critical. That doesn't mean he's a bad player. Just, you know, still learning the trade a little bit, which is to be expected at that age. Like it's, he's, it, it shows how good he is that he's he's playing in the first team, but ultimately, you know, he's still learning. Um, and yeah, I think all that, that this is kind of a, a cocktail that has made Liverpool just a little less fluid going forward and a little bit more vulnerable uh, without the ball. Um, seemingly consistently giving away kind of really big counter-attack opportunities. I mean, we saw it against Newcastle, didn't we? We saw one or two where Alexander Isak got, got inside and uh, you know made use of them and scored both of his only two opportunities, really. Mm-hmm. Um you know, one of them got ruled out, obviously, but and he, he was only marginally offside. But Carragher touches on it quite often. Liverpool seems to give away one or two of those every game, and 
we've kind of started to view it as a norm almost, but it's probably not. <laughs> no, we not you what know, really, is it? Yeah, I, I have really, I've not been on the show since I've kind of changed my view on this, but I'm actually really, so my view traditionally, and it, it, I imagine it mirrors yours because we talk so much about football. Um, my view has always been, it's like, it's kind of like, uh, as a consequence of how Liverpool play, you know, they're going to give up these big chances every so often because they play. I mean, Pep Linderson Shaw said he wants to play in something like, um, well, the play front front to back within eighteen yards of each other, which is an insanely small area of the pitch to have all your players together. But we know why press really aggressively, uh, kind of compact space, difficult to play out of. Hopefully, go long, give it back to Liverpool, start again. I get all that, but I I had a look at the numbers last season for the piece just before the Champions League final, and Liverpool give up something like fifty two one against one opportunities which was the highest in the Premier League, more than Norwich, you know, name a team, it was worse than them. Um, and I thought, okay, stylistically, who's the closest to Liverpool in the Premier League? Because style does, uh, you know, play a factor. And I was, you know, Manchester City was the obvious one. And they'd give up about 34. So I was like, that is a big difference. And, you know, you're kind of relying on Alisson to just continually, you know, pull off big saves. And, if, if if he comes out the team or if his form dips a little bit, you know, you, you're going to start conceding goals and goals obviously impact results. And especially this season, seeing more of it, I'm like, I'm starting to think basically, Josh, to summarise that it's a little bit more expensive and maybe not as worthwhile as, as I thought it was. And it was when Carragher said that line about a week or two ago that it just doesn't feel right. I kind of found myself agreeing with him I was like it's a fair point you know you shouldn't just be given that many clear cut chances 1v1s against your goalkeeper I think it's a problem yeah I do think it's it's them I think a lot of those 1v1s kind of originate from that channel between Trent and whoever's playing next to Van Dijk basically so I think a lot of it does stem from Trent's role in the team where he's expected to pop up on the pitch when Liverpool have the ball. You know, sometimes he's popping up in like the Bruyne kind of areas and things like that, coming much further inside than Robertson does. He's not as quick as Robertson either in terms of his recovery pace. So I think that's... If you were to look at like the perfect way in which you you would form Liverpool's system, you'd probably have Trent where you doing what he usually does, Salah doing what he usually does, and you'd probably like the right-sided centre-mid for Liverpool to be an absolute can't say, you know, some, someone like that who's just going to do, like a chew him any, funnily enough, mm. um, someone who's just going to hoover up everything and just kind of let the other two just go go mad almost on the attacking side of the game. But I think because Liverpool are, are managing with an ageing version, version of Jordan Henderson and now Harvey Elliott, who is, I think, still a teenager and by nature is more attack-minded than defensive. I think Elliot was the best player on the pitch against Newcastle, by the way. I'm not criticising him in any way. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the makeup of Liverpool's team, you probably want a, 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 just a defensive master, basically, on, on the right side of Liverpool's midfield. And we haven't really had that, which I think is part of the reason why we, every now and then we can see these, these big 1v1s. But mm-hmm. looking at the numbers anyway, the numbers don't hate Liverpool in, in, in any way. I mean, the, the numbers are still pretty good across the board, really. Um so, in terms of expected goals so far this season, 
excluding penalties. <laughs> Liverpool are third. And in terms of uh, behind only City and Arsenal, by the way. And in terms of the, the set defensive side of the game, Liverpool are fifth at the minute. Sorry, no, no, hang on. Let me just fix that. Put on per match basis. Uh, Liverpool are, well, yeah, joint, joint fourth. Um, it can get better defensively because City's defence is almost half as half as good as anybody else's, apart from Arsenal at the minute. Um, everyone's had these different fixtures, so the numbers can change a lot and things. So I don't think it's like by any means where Liverpool are going to start drifting out of the top four and like that, any of that nonsense. I don't think it's it's that bad. I'm just not sure uh, Liverpool are anywhere near title winning level just yet based on their evidence in the first couple of games. I'd probably agree. Um, I guess the only positive thing from the pool perspective is that it, I do anticipate that that's probably going to settle down. Uh, and, I, you know, you'd rather be like this now at the beginning of the season with so much football still to play for them, you know, maybe six months down the line. Um, so, yeah, it's... It, it, I mean, it just what we're talking about now ties into the original comment that Liverpool have just been a bit weird at the start of the season. Yeah. They just I mean, a bit strange. I mean, a lot of that you you can put down to like lots of injuries, um, red card to to Darwin Nunes, mm. Van Dijk giving away a penalty. You know, extremely uncharacteristic things that we that we would usually see. Um, when it comes to Liverpool and you're obviously instigating a few new players mm. uh, you've lost Mane so it's I think you could probably describe our start of the season as a little bit turbulent and based on those things I've just listed it's almost to be expected it's just a bit I suppose frustrating that it's it can rule you out of the title race so quickly but anyway Liverpool have won two games in a row it's by no means over and like that, but Liverpool have to get back to their usual level performance-wise. On the weekend, Dave, mm. um, against Everton, Frank Lampard's Everton, who I think I'm right in saying a winless at the minute. Is that right? Correct. Winless. Thanks for pointing out, Josh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but the crucial thing, though, is it deservedly winless or should they have a bit more to the name? So this is what's quite funny. Oh, by the way, I, I, I'm going to point it out now, so then when people are watching it, uh, they can laugh and know that I'm aware of it. But I am getting blinded at the moment by the sun in me. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, uh, yeah, it's insane. I uh, thought that was your brain lighting up, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, something like that, mate. But um, yeah, it, it really. Oh no, no. See, what happens is when I speak about Everton, made the life fades from my brain, and it uh, <laughs> goes quite the opposite way. But yeah, Everton are strange because they obviously winless so far. Um, and anybody who knows me, you know, regular listeners to this show or maybe other shows or follow me on social media, I'm definitely not an Everton cheerleader. You know, I won't just kind of positively spin things in their favour. It's uh, it's quite the opposite, actually, to be honest. Because um, they're quite an irritating club at times in the way they're running things. But that being said, I do think um, there's a lot of caveats to, to what's happened so far this season, and I think they're, they're probably a little bit better than. I, I mean, what might be good, Josh, if if I talk now and then maybe you bring up the the general Premier League numbers and you can have a little gander at them in a minute. Yeah, I'm actually um, doing it now. Yeah, yeah, but. 
I mean, yeah, they they started the season with a one nil defeat uh, to Chelsea, which was via a penalty. Um, there wasn't really nothing in that game. Uh, penalty decided it. Uh, strange game against Aston Villa, who, who obviously a lot of Liverpool fans will know. Gerrard struggling there. Uh, got beat two one again, and then three uh, consecutive one all draws against Forest, uh, Forest, Brentford, and, and Leeds. And uh, yeah, the reason I say there's a few caveats is they've they've come into the season without a, a centre forward, um, and I don't flag that as just an issue in terms of being able to to score goals, although it is a big one. I think it's an issue in terms of your actual team structure. You know, it's really difficult when you don't have any sort of focal point. Um, even if you think of like great sides who haven't always operated with a number nine, we'll use the best example, Liverpool, you know, up until before Nunes come in, they, they had the flu of run three, but Firmino still was in, in many ways, although not in a traditional way. He was that kind of focal point to attacks, wasn't he? And um, I haven't really haven't had that. We have to play like Gray and Gordon. I think it just really hindered them. Um, so they've kind of been playing a bit of a counter-attacking game. But I have to say, Josh, I don't know if you caught them this week. They looked very dangerous against against Leeds. Uh, probably should have won that game. They had a very similar goal disallowed to what uh, the goal that Newcastle's goal that was disallowed. Uh, really tight VAR call. Um, uh, at Brentford, they conceded with a couple minutes to go. Yeah, you know, I think that the it, the the first wins evaded them a little bit. Uh, but with maybe a little bit more luck, they would have picked up one or two victories by now. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Yeah, I'm here. I'm just looking at Everton's numbers now for the for the first time really this season. Uh, five games in, so. It's a very small sample size, massive red flag there, but we can only look at what we've got anyway. And uh, I'm quite surprised that Everton are actually not that bad on the attacking side. Mm. Um, considering they don't have a striker, they, they are posing a bit of a threat. Um, so if you look at just general shots, um, they're about eighth. Um, both joint eighth in terms of shots per 90, shots per match or whatever. Uh, and in terms of expected goals, they are, yeah, about the same. So on the attacking side of the game, they don't look like they're completely toothless. What the issue is by the looks of it is putting the ball in the net. And that, that seems to be where the issue of no striker is coming in because in terms of finishing, uh, Everton currently bottom of the league for... Expected goals over performance or underperformance. Currently, uh, three point two goals behind expectation. Mm-hmm. Evan at the minute, so they haven't really converted the shots very well at all. For a bit of perspective on that, at the opposite end of the scale, you got Man City top and Liverpool second, both being really clinical when when it comes to putting the ball in the net when you're trying to convert shots into goals. Mm-hmm. But defensively, um, maybe a little bit weaker closer to the bottom of the table in terms of uh, shots faced um, in terms of expected goals faced as well. So, bit of a weird one actually because when I've been watching Everton, they, they do look uh, committed maybe is the word. They, they do look on board with whatever they're trying to do. They, it's, they're not getting rolled over. They're not, you know, just 
pathetic anymore, basically. Mm. Uh, they do look like they're applying themselves. Um, but defensively, they look worse than, than they do on the attack side of the game, which I'm a little bit surprised by. Yeah, I do wonder, though, if uh, if some of that in some way um, alludes to or hints at, you know, the fact that they, they, they do see the way they've been having to set up without having that focal point in attack. You know, they've got only Fulham and Bournemouth have had lower possession than them so far. Um, and obviously, if you're, if you're playing in a way where you're, you're not looking to kind of dominate the ball, you're looking to sit deep, invite, invite pressure on, then hit teams on the counter... You know, inevitably, you're going to give up a few more shots as well. Uh, so, I do, I do agree uh, with the with the kind of assessments of them defensively. Uh, I just think maybe one explanation for for that could be, you know, where the way they've been setting up and and how that can kind of impact it a little bit. Uh, you know, inviting their pressure on a little bit more, and as a result, uh, giving up more shots on the goal. Yeah, I mean, in terms of um, Everton's system. They do seem to have moved towards a, a back three or a back five, whatever you want to call it. Although it was a four against Leeds, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, there was a switch. Maybe there. any reason for that? Um, no, I think what's happened was is maybe he's had an idea, but then uh, they had Mumpai uh, was meant to be playing, and I can't remember why. Oh, uh, <laughs> something with two paperwork. So I wonder if maybe he's just thought, right, let's switch the system and, and go with something else. Yeah. I mean, is there any immediate... I mean, Anana looks decent. Anana looks like an alright signing. Uh, good age, well regarded. Um, I think he offers a bit of stability in the middle of the park. About 6'5", is he? Something like that. Yeah, he looks at, Yeah, he looks at a good piece of business, actually. I have to say, uh, for all... You know, we've talked at length over the years, me and you, Josh, on podcasts about Evans' recruitment. Uh, and shock, it hasn't been positive talk. Uh, but I actually think I'm, I appreciate we're going to be looking at it. Many people will be looking at this from a Liverpool perspective. So there's a maybe being a little bit more inclined to find some of this business underwhelming, which you get. But maybe you can kind of put yourself in the position of where Everton were last season and then coming into the summer. I actually think they've not done business too bad. You know, they've brought in Onana, who I think is a really good, strong midfielder. Um, we just touched on Mumpai from Brighton. You know, we, we know uh, in the analytical world, he's never looked a fantastic finisher, but I do think he can be a handful. Um, but I think that the centre-backs in particular, Tarkowski, Cody, you brought those two defenders in for nothing. You know, one was a free transfer, one was a low move. I think for a team like Everton, who, who you know, aren't going to be playing on the halfway line, uh, I think that's a much more robust defensive pair uh, and, and, and certainly at very least I think a, a mid-table um, kind of defensive duo Yeah, well, one thing I am glad to see, in well when I say glad, I mean this is supposed to be a Liverpool podcast so we shouldn't be glad but one thing I do think that, perspective. <laughs> yeah, yeah, from a sensible perspective let's say, mm-hmm. one thing I do think they're getting right finally is they seem to be settling on a system and recruiting based on the needs of that system and the profiles you need to execute that system. Mm-hmm. And it's coincided with, I think it's Kevin Thelwell, is it, as the, the director of football there now? Yeah, that's right. He's wrote, a, he's wrote a thesis, actually, in the past on, I think it was a, an entire thesis on the 3-5-2. Um, mm-hmm. And he was in, 
he was a director of football at Wolves when Nuno was constructing his three five two. Um I think it was a three five two, but it was definitely a back three under Espirito Santo and he got Neves and Moutinho and the likes of Johnny also a wing back and things like that. And I think Everton now it's insisting the movement towards a back three. And they've got like Ananas come in um they've got Patterson and, and Michaelenko as as wing backs potentially now moving mm-hmm. forward. So I think if Everton keep recruit if, if Lampard sticks with that system and Everton keep recruiting players for that system, I think the recruitment should naturally improve because you've got more of a clear vision to what you're working towards. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we'll have to leave it there because we're getting a little bit carried away here. But <laughs> in terms of predictions, mate, we're going to do it. So uh, what are you saying? Yeah, I mean, I'm still pretty confident Liverpool win the game. Um, but I expect to be, you know, based on what we've seen so far, I expect a tight game, small margins. The way Liverpool have been at the moment, probably not a clean sheet for them. Uh, they seem to give up a goal. Uh, so maybe I'll give Everton one goal, but I just expect Liverpool to at least find two. So I, you know what? I'll go a tight uh, Liverpool win 2-1. Just before I give my prediction, have you got any thoughts on, on Nunes making his return for this game? Yeah. I, I, saw, think... a, I saw a clip yesterday. Absolutely genius, I thought. Someone posted a, a clip of... Um, a WWE Royal, Royal Rumble and uh, mid Royal Rumble, the the Stone Cold music uh, comes in and he just comes in and starts ruining everybody basically. And it, it's kind of like Nunes' return as coincided with the Merseyside Derby at Goodison. Like, what could yeah. go wrong type thing? Yeah, no, it seems written in the stars a little bit on, on that. Uh, that he'll come in. Are you worried in any way? Or? Yeah, 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 because I think he's a, a, he's, a, he's a massive handful. I also don't expect them to start because the way for me, and I was playing no, last two I games. So, you know, the prospect of him potentially coming into the game for the last 30 minutes, I think that would be a daunting prospect because he's something completely different to what you've spent an hour trying to defend. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I I agree. I think I think he, he has the potential to really change the game when he comes on. Um, I think he could be a handful and he could be a real difference maker actually. But generally, mm-hmm. my, my prediction is I'm actually going to go one all. Ah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm going to go one all because Goodison Park is a difficult place to play. And Liverpool's build up game, especially at the minute, has not been great. The, the midfielders are maybe a little bit hesitant to actually get on the ball and receive the ball in deeper areas sometimes. And mm-hmm. uh, Anthony Gordon was a nightmare for us last season, and that was when we were well equipped to deal with him. Mm. Now we're a little bit less equipped. So I wouldn't be surprised if Everton somehow sneak one. Liverpool dominate the game, manage to score one themselves, but can't really win the game. And mm. it's an early kickoff and all that away from home. My my only my, my only hope is is around the hour mark, Nunes does something in terms of causing havoc where he ends up scoring the winner or something like that. But I think it could be a really tight, niggly, horrible game, to be honest. Mm. Like the often are good this one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Frank Lampard's already got history with uh, Liverpool's bench as well. So, I don't know. It's going to be one of them games, I think. I'm mm. looking forward to it. We'll it's see. the early kickoff, mate. I hate the early kickoffs. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I never enjoy it. No. I might not be well, able to see it though, anyway. Thanks for joining us anyway, Dave. Yeah, no problem, mate. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's good to see you back. Uh, we'll see you next month. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, listeners, thanks for tuning in, and uh, we will be back next. Well, no, we no, we won't actually. I'm away next week, so we won't have a podcast. But the week after, 
uh, we'll be back on the on the podcast. So yeah, tune in then, and uh, we'll see you then. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red Channel.